Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Disconnected. I'm your host, Jag Sharma. No guest on this episode, just me. Today is all about private messaging, encryption, data privacy, and network effect. Let's get into it. I'm going to tell you a story. It's 2009. The iPhone came out two years previous, and the world is discovering smartphone apps. Facebook is really taking off. It's overpowered MySpace, Friendster, Friends Reunited, High Five, Orkut, and the rest. A chap called Brian Acton applied to work as an engineer at Facebook. He was rejected in August and tweeted about his sadness of the rejection, but also about moving on. And moving on, he did. Just a couple of months later, Brian and his friend, Jan Coombe, had a smartphone app idea of their own. It was initially designed to be an app for people to easily update their status. But once they added in the private messaging feature, the app really started to gain popularity. Because at the time, traditional text messages were still a little pricey. Sure, not as pricey as 10 years previous, but still came at a cost. And with BlackBerry having their own free BlackBerry Messenger for people on the BlackBerry ecosystem, so when WhatsApp started offering global instant messaging completely free, well, that caught on, and it caught on quickly, and Brian and Jan capitalized on it. 2010. Free applications normally make money in one of three ways. Advertising, in-app purchases, or selling your data. But the WhatsApp founders hated ads, and they both even left their previous jobs at Yahoo because of the extensive use of advertising. They even made a blog post on the official WhatsApp blog about why they don't sell ad space on WhatsApp. Okay, So ads was not an option for them. What about in-app purchases? Well, they didn't want to create a barrier to features behind a paywall. They wanted to make the best product they could for all their users. So in-app purchases was out. And how about selling your data? Both the WhatsApp founders, particularly Brian Acton, were privacy activists. So selling your private data for profit felt off to them. So that wasn't going to work either. So what did they do? They simply got by. They had some seed funding from some of their former colleagues and wealthy execs at Yahoo, and they made do. The WhatsApp office was kitted out with Ikea and secondhand furniture. And to save on heating bills, to keep warm, the team wore extra layers and wrapped themselves in blankets whilst working. Inevitably, this stopped working for them. When WhatsApp started to introduce new features, such as attaching pictures to messages, they needed more servers. Therefore, they needed more money. So you may recall that for a period, WhatsApp introduced a one US dollar fee. Now it varied in different countries. Sometimes the fee was upfront to download, but in most countries, It was free to download, free for the first year, and then requested once a year to be paid. 
And if people ignored the request to pay, WhatsApp did nothing and let them continue to use the app. So it wasn't so much of a fee, more of a request for donation dressed up as an annual fee. This worked really well. It didn't alienate the user base and enough people paid the fee to give enough money for WhatsApp to continue to run. But this $1 fee mainly just kept the lights on with a small amount left over to help them remain steady. 2011. If you've got lots of users, investors see the potential. That's the crazy thing about tech companies. They don't really need to show profit. If they've got millions of users, investors are interested. And WhatsApp had millions and millions of users globally. WhatsApp were getting offers from investors, but Brian and Jan kept turning them down as they didn't feel that they were desperate for money. And they had concerns that investors would want to say in monetization of the app and thus impact on quality. So they just continued. Soon, WhatsApp was growing fast. So fast that investors were offering huge sums of money and agreeing to whatever terms WhatsApp wanted. WhatsApp gets money from investors, but retains the freedom to run the business as they wish. And this became WhatsApp's revenue strategy. Invest in making the app the best it can be. This in turn will keep users and attract new ones, and then will attract more investors. WhatsApp's value in the eyes of investors came from network effect. The more people that have the app, the better it is for all other users. Because if the user's friends and family are on the app, then it means they can message more people and in turn encourage more of their friends, family, work colleagues, and people they regularly interact with to download the app. The user count kept growing and so did the attention from investors. 2014. The business model that WhatsApp had works to a point. Eventually, even investors with zero say will get tired if they see no return. A company needs to find a way to satisfy its investors. Luckily for WhatsApp, attracting investors just kept getting bigger and bigger. And eventually, both Google and Facebook showed strong interest in the app. Facebook bought WhatsApp for 19 billion US dollars in 2014. Evidence suggests that the year prior to the sale, WhatsApp was operating at a loss. So for Brian and Yan to get an offer of 19 billion, it must have been too strong of an offer to turn down. To put 19 billion in context, just a few years prior, Facebook bought photo sharing app Instagram for 1 billion US dollars. The average NASA orbital trip costs 58 million. The Shard, London's tallest building, cost 1.6 billion US dollars to build. And just four years before the WhatsApp sale, Kraft Foods bought Cadbury chocolate also for 19 billion US dollars. But Facebook bought a messaging app, which had very similar features to its own messaging app. Plus it had very low revenue and possibly making a loss in its latter year before the sale. At the time, Mark Zuckerberg, 
the co-founder and CEO of Facebook, now Meta, said that he believed that WhatsApp may even be worth more than $19 billion, as there were very few services in the world that reached 1 billion people. Zuckerberg bought WhatsApp as he saw lots of synergies between WhatsApp and Facebook. And this worried people. Facebook's track record for respecting privacy has been brought into question many times. And with scandals like Cambridge Analytica in 2017, this made trust in WhatsApp in the hands of Facebook worrisome for many. Part of the deal with WhatsApp included WhatsApp founders Brian Acton and Jan Kuhn coming on board at Facebook to continue to have a big say in WhatsApp's progress and development. 2016. In a blog post, WhatsApp announced that it was ending its $1 annual fee, removing any barriers to using the messaging platform, encouraging existing users to remain, and further encouraging more to join. Which is important to Facebook, who valued WhatsApp at 19 billion, because it had over a billion users. Facebook is in the data business. It could be the biggest data-based enterprise in history. Well, it's at least a toss-up between them and Google. The more data Facebook has about users, the more powerful it can become. Your data has value. And WhatsApp provided user behavior data, how often they use the service and their location, contact lists, who they were connected with and who they were messaging. Access to phone numbers bridged the gap between Facebook's knowledge of a person online and knowledge of the person in the offline world. Plus, outside of North America, WhatsApp was far more popular than its own Facebook Messenger. In countries like India, WhatsApp is the de facto messaging app. So getting more users into the Facebook ecosystem was far more profitable and meaningful to them than charging $1 each. The more data points Facebook has, the clearer the picture they can build on a person. When Facebook bought WhatsApp in 2014, it promised the WhatsApp founders that WhatsApp could remain operating independently of Facebook, that Facebook won't be sharing data, and there will be zero pressure to monetize. However, in 2017, it came to light that Facebook had been harvesting data from WhatsApp, sharing usage data, phone numbers, and contacts, cross-referencing user phone numbers with their Facebook and Instagram IDs made the targeted ads on Facebook and Instagram even better. In May 2017, the European Commission fined Facebook 110 million euros for lying when proposing the takeover of WhatsApp. It was the highest fine the European Commission had ever imposed for procedural infringement in a merger case. When proposing the takeover, Facebook said that it was technically impossible to automatically combine user information from Facebook and WhatsApp. But as we learned, this is something that Facebook had been doing since shortly after the purchase. WhatsApp co-founder Brian Acton left Facebook after falling out with Mark Zuckerberg on monetization and sharing of user data. He lost out on an estimated $850 million in stock options by doing so. 
A year later, he tweeted, It's time. Hashtag delete Facebook. He then put 50 million US dollars of his own money into developing Signal, a messaging app with very similar features to WhatsApp, but acting as a non-profit organization focusing on security and privacy. It wasn't much longer until the other WhatsApp founder, Jan Coombe, left Facebook when he discovered that Facebook had new plans to weaken WhatsApp's encryption capabilities to make monetizing it easier. So what are Facebook planning for WhatsApp? Well, monetization is definitely happening and already is happening. WhatsApp Business is a service that allows businesses to communicate directly to customers that opt in to WhatsApp conversations with them. A business is charged if its replies are late. So you'll often find many of these businesses have chatbots that reply straight away. Whether the reply is useful or not, that's by the by. As long as they reply, then they won't be fined. Plans have also been announced to allow ads in the status section of the app. And the big rumor at the moment is that Facebook plan to build an onboard in-app algorithm that reads messages before they are encrypted and sent. So that keywords from these messages can be fed into the Facebook machine about the users having these WhatsApp conversations. And that data being used to create even more relevant and targeted ads, as well as beefing up the data they have on you. So if WhatsApp's reputation for privacy and security is in question, why don't people leave it? I think that the simple answer is that network effect equals convenience. People who are on WhatsApp find that most of their friends and family also use the app. So moving to a competitor like Telegram or Signal seems like a hassle. You've committed so much of your own time and effort to the platform that you yourself are somewhat locked in. Plus, even some of the alternatives don't necessarily feel a strong enough reason to change. For example, Telegram isn't end-to-end encrypted. But then again, the argument can be made that WhatsApp isn't really encrypted either. For my WhatsApp, Apple can access any chat as I'm backing up to iCloud. Google can access any of my chats that are being backed up to the Google Drive by the people I'm WhatsApping with. And WhatsApp can access any of my chats because I can somehow restore my WhatsApp on a clean device using just my phone number as a reference point. But then Signal seems like a great alternative. Created by the original creator of WhatsApp, values privacy and security above all, and is a non-profit. So it's not motivated by money. I guess convenience wins out. I guess convenience always wins out. ProtonMail is much, much more secure and safe than Google Mail. But it's inconvenient to switch from Gmail and start over. Even if we don't log into our Facebook accounts as much as we once did, all those photo albums we once created and memories shared feel of value. And extracting them to leave feels like too much of an inconvenience. And leaving WhatsApp for Signal may also feel the same. 
getting friends and loved ones to leave with you, teaching your mum and dad, your aunts and uncles, how to use a new messenger app when they've already got used to WhatsApp? It seems like too much of an inconvenience. I guess privacy is important, and we may all argue for more privacy and get annoyed when we read articles about tech giants harvesting our data for ads and other uses that we may never know. But even when there are free incredible alternatives out there for us to switch to, the lack of convenience is just too much of an inconvenience to keep our privacy ours. Thank you for listening, and I am sure whatever podcast platform you are listening on has logged and recorded this as part of some data point for a variety of uses in the future. But perhaps let's leave that thought for another day. And I'll see you on the next episode of Disconnected. Disconnected.